I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Jay from the Eagles Beak. Um, I'm also presenter and uh, producer of a community radio show, sports radio show on Meridian FM. You can get us on socials, uh, the Meridian Sports Show, and also the Eagles Beak across all socials. Hi, Kev. Thanks for uh, having me back on again, and congratulations on your 10th season. It's uh, It's been great great fun to chat with you and, and all the other guests you've had on over the years. Uh, my name is Steve McGookin. I'm a Spurs fan from Belfast, but um, currently in Baltimore, where I'm watching the Orioles make a run at the baseball postseason. So uh, in a previous life, I was the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. And yeah, Steve mentions this is the first full episode of our 10th season here on the show, which uh, we'll come back a little bit later in the rundown. But uh, it's really been a pleasure and and grateful for everyone that's listened and everyone that's come on. It's a really cool uh, community that we've managed to build here. Um, We'll start off with something that we did used to cover on the uh, podcast, unfortunately not anymore, which is the Women's World Cup. Uh, the timing not so friendly for uh, those of us on the mountain time zone, but I was curious to your guys' thoughts about how the tournament's gone this far and and the U.S.'s surprising uh, dismissal from from the tournament today. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed the competition. Um, a lot of football, a lot of decent football. Obviously, we've had a you know we haven't had as many um, sort of one sided games in the early stages. We've seen some big names drop out: Germany, USA today, Canada. Um, you know, all, all falling by the wayside in group stages. And looking forward to seeing England playing their knockout game tomorrow, which isn't going to be easy by any feat. Uh, playing Nigeria, it's going to be a tough game. So looking forward to that tomorrow morning. But um, but yeah, it's been really competitive. Obviously, I. I know it's a difficult time for, for you guys in the States to watch games, but it's it's been morning games for us here in the UK. And um, yeah, I, I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it. It's been it's always good to have a competition where um, you get a few surprises here. And obviously USA losing earlier on today against Sweden in, in the manner of losing the game. Uh, penalties is one thing, but, you know, for it to go to VAR as well and uh, a lot of confusion uh, taking place. Um, that's got a sting. I mean, USA going for their third um, World Cup in a row. Um, I think I think the non-USA supporting fans uh, watching the World Cup are probably relatively pleased that USA aren't going to go for a third one. It gives somebody else a chance to win the World Cup at least. Um, but it opens up a fair bit. You know, USA didn't haven't played that well, let's face it, in this competition. Um, there's, there's been a few teams stuttering along the way. Uh, France have stuttered. Um, Germany really did stutter and obviously ended up uh, coming home. Um, and England, you know, they had a tight game to start off with. Um, heavily criticised in the, in the uh, in, in the press over here uh, for that uh, difficult start. But, you know, 
like we saw in the Men's World Cup, Argentina lost their first game and ended up winning it. So, mm. you know, we, we know... You know, we know these competitions, you know, you kind of grow into them. You know, they're a long way from home, you know, most of these teams, particularly England. Um, so, you know, acclimatisation is a big thing. But growing into the tournament like they have, I think you know, tomorrow's going to be really interesting to see how they fare against uh, Nigeria. Um, obviously, excelling against China in that last group game, probably more than most people expected them to, but their game really came together. Uh, and I think, I think going to the World Cup, uh, England particularly with a number of big names missing you know we're talking players that would walk into that first 11 I think it affected them more than people realised uh, and obviously uh, losing Kira Walsh in, you know, in the group stage as well thankfully she's you know probably going to make it back into the team but you know who who do you drop from that that side against China um, so yeah really looking forward to the game tomorrow it, it's been you know th- these knockout stages have been good so far as well um, there's some really tight games coming up as well um, and some surprising teams in into the next round so so yeah USA are gone Canada are gone Germany have gone so um, looking forward to seeing some more surprises along the way and hopefully the draw opens up a little bit more and um, you yeah, know we get a few few more surprises yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it has been a really uh, entertaining tournament. Uh, and again, they're, they're, the evenness, the sense of evenness mm. is there. Obviously, I got up this morning to, to watch the uh, U.S. Uh, women's team um, go out after after extra time and penalties. And I, I obviously, you know, as Jay says, penalties are a, a hugely disappointing way to go out of, go out of any tournament. But, you know, there, there's a reason the game ends up there, and, and that's basically because one side or the other wasn't able to take the opportunities they had during during the previous uh, 120 minutes and uh, you know the US team had had a lackluster start to the to the um, to the tournament let's be fair so you got a sense that you know they were going to be vulnerable today whether or not they were you know playing to their to their potential or not and you know they they, they were better in the second half for sure trying to break down a very well organized um, uh, Swedish team but no matter how much possession they had or or the chances that they created, they they couldn't get the ball over the line. So you know they ended up in the in the lottery of a shootout. The thing, and and there's been some you know uh, controversy and and chat about uh, the, the 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 controversial nature of VAR being used in the in the final in the final goal. But the thing that that surprised me the most, I think, and I don't know if this was in the broadcast in the rest of the world or just here, but was that there. There was no camera angle from above the goal line like there is in the Premier League, like we're used to with regular VAR. And then it emerged that there actually was, but we just weren't shown it. Uh, it wasn't in the broadcast when we eventually got to see the VAR replay. And, and I only saw it online after the, the game broadcast had finished, not in the broadcast itself. It was it was a, a fair decision. And, and you know, the, the, the ball was over the line and those are the, those are the breaks. But... Um, uh, but, but again, you know, it, it created a little bit of controversy on, on Twitter and social media for uh, people who uh, were probably more invested in it than I was. But uh, I mean, subsequently, there's 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 been lots of criticism of plenty of people since the game. And I, I admit I don't know enough about it to weigh in, you know, on the personality side one way or the other. But it, it seems this is probably a good time for a reassessment and some change. I mean, they have the advantage of having a very good, solid core of young players, uh, but it seems like the, the defeat here, and as, as Jay said, I mean, thank goodness somebody else is going to win it this year. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it, it's, it does seem like an inflection point, um, as it, I think it did with the with the men's team, um, especially when they're the hosts of or one of the hosts of the uh, 2026 uh, Men's World Cup. And they rehired Greg Berhalter as coach recently. And, and the challenge for them is going to be, well, you know, the, if you're just preparing by a series of friendlies rather than in a competitive group, uh, you know, does that take the does that take the edge off? But as far as the uh, the rest of the women's tournament is concerned, I, I think the the, the entertain from an entertainment perspective, any of the teams left in it really could could go on to win it. I think the Dutch look really good in the in the games I've seen them play, and and we saw this morning that you know Sweden are are really resilient and very well organized. But um, it, it just seems pretty wide open. So I, I, I'm excited to watch the England team tomorrow and, and best of luck to England's women. So, um, yeah, I'm, I've enjoyed the tournament uh, so far. And I know you guys have too. So uh, it, it, everything's a positive. Yep, some excellent points made by both of you there. Uh, would have been cool for the U.S. to advance from my personal, obviously biased perspective. But uh, I get two teams every World Cup. And as long as the Dutch are still in it, then I still have, <laughs> still have a path there. Um, obviously, uh, World Cup's typically a summer affair, unlike the men's one last year. But uh, as we transition from that into uh, the domestic seasons... It's time to get going for the 2023-2024 Premier League campaign. Obviously, before any new season, there are some rule changes, uh, just some that people should be aware of. There are likely going to be five Champions League spots for England because it's based on coefficients, so it isn't guaranteed, but it is very probable. Uh, there's going to be the World Cup style of extra time, so the watch stops for goal celebrations and subs and injury delays. Uh, goalkeepers can no longer intend to distract or interfere with penalty takers. Uh, so we won't get to see that really cool like shadow penalty taker thing happening where like somebody picks up the ball, everybody yells at him for two minutes and then he hands it to the guy that's actually going to take it. Um, there's going to be an increased focus on manager etiquette. So there won't be as much yelling at officials in theory uh, and only one person in the technical area, not like four assistants and the manager. Um, there's going to be a focus on reducing crowding of the referee, which obviously we all see all the time. And uh, technically shifted last year, but it's finally in the rule books this year um, that if a defender touches a ball that winds up going to an offside player, they are still offside. So some, some big changes, some of them in theory small changes that could have big impacts. Which of these do you think will have the most impact on the coming season? I mean, to be honest, most of these, I think a lot of people have been crying out for for a while, I mean, particularly referees uh, one in, in terms of you know, the etiquette from both the players, no crowd and the referee. I mean, you see that every game, 10 times a game, probably more. Um, and the manager etiquette as well. We had a few instances last season. You know, we get it, heat at the moment and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, it's about respect. You know, other sports you watch, particularly rugby, you know, players have the respect of the official every time. Yes, I know they're mic'd up, but... You know, whenever I've seen a rugby game or, or other sports, you you know, the, the officials are respected. But football, that's never. Well, I, I would say never. I think it used to be a case because referees used to have a respect of players. But I don't know quite when it went out the window. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all, all for those. I'm not sure about the gate goalkeeper sportsmanship one. <laughs> Obviously, the penalty taker has, you know, a fair chunk of advantage anyway. So it's not as if goalkeepers are doing that much. But yeah, that's fine. It's not it's not a big deal. Um, the extra time, um, I think I thought we were going to have that last season, to be honest, after the World Cup. So the World Cup showed us 
exactly how much time is being lost in games. And I thought that was a really good thing. And obviously last season we had a few um, a few uh, areas where I think the Premier League came out with some details around how much time was being lost in games. I think it was probably the season before. So I think this is a really good one. But obviously if you're going to games like I do, you're, never gonna, you're not going to quite know when you're going to be able to leave the ground and get your train home. Let's, let's face it or get that pint in the pub. So, you know, you could be another 20 minutes, half an hour um, <clears throat> uh, later uh, leaving games. But it's, you know, it's just how it is. And you want to see the ball, you know, ball on the pitch more often. Um, the time-wasting rule, I think, is quite quite an interesting one. I was watching the game earlier and they were talking it through about where uh, players, you know, potentially, I'm not saying players feign injury. I think we know players feign injury, you know, to stop the stop the game, stop the flow of the game, that kind of stuff. That sort of thing is really frustrating for fans to watch, and obviously the opposition as well. So, I, I'm 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 interested to see how well it's implemented across the season because obviously officials have enough to do, don't they? Let's face it. Um, and I think the etiquette one, you know, not crowning the referee, that's obviously going to help. Um, but I think that's been needed for some time. So, yeah, interesting. And obviously the five Champions League spots that's going to make the Premier League even more competitive if it ever needs to be more competitive than it already is, I guess, you know, in a way, you know, you've got teams, you know, teams' eyes would be lighting up at the five Champions League spots now. You know, you're you're looking at the likes of Chelsea, Spurs, and, you know, you could probably add the likes of, you know, probably Aston Villa and Brighton and Brentford if they continue their recent trajectory into that kind of area as well. So, so yeah, I think they're all valid. I think they're all very interesting. I'm very interested to see how they all get adopted across the course of the season and how long it stays, you know, how long referees adhere to all of this. Because I think we had um, a few instances a few years ago where they adopted some new rules. I can't remember what it was, um, but uh, they kind of, you know, went out the window quite quickly after like four or five games of the season. But um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm certainly interested. Yeah. After it it Eric Dyer, rule? when he was facing the opposite direction and they gave a penalty and then the next week they changed it. <laughs> Was it shirt pulling as well in the penalty area? I think it was things like mm. that as well. Because I think Mike Dean gave gave like two penalties in the first game of the season, or maybe three. I can't. <laughs> vaguely rings a bell um, that happening. But um, yeah, so from that point of view, it's going to be interesting to see if it continues across the course of the season or whether it kind of fades away or that kind of stuff. Um, particularly crowd and the referee, because footballers are footballers, aren't they? Creatures of habit, and they've been allowed to do it for so long. So, um, so yeah, I'm 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 certainly intrigued to see how it's gonna how it's gonna pan out across the season. But um, yeah, the five Champions League spots is a really interesting one because obviously, you know, makes it a lot more competitive as well. The Premier League. So yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that, and I think any any rule that directly affects Eric Dyer is one that we should watch <laughs> very very carefully. I mean, I think the the etiquette rule changes that you mentioned, Kev, that, that, that actually impact on the playing of the game. I mean, they they just seem basic common sense, and maybe those are mm. things that arguably should be already you know being enforced. Um, I think I think as Jay hinted at, the, the the most important thing is that we have consistency in how those rules are implemented, and and for the players to quickly get used to what's expected of them uh, under under new circumstances. I, I like the World Cup style, um, you know, extra time as Jay mentioned. You know, it's definitely for the good. Anything that that brings more ball and play time and and action into the game, I think, is a good thing. But the um, I'll I'll differ, I think, slightly from Jay on the the five Champions League spots because I think structurally, I I worry that increasing the Champions League spots will will basically turn out to be 
a way of further keeping the financial resources among the 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 the, the universe of already wealthy teams. And I know that that kind of sounds counterintuitive because technically, if you're expanding access, you you, you expect the pie to be divided among more teams. But um, I think you you have to be a pretty wealthy team to be able to compete across a complete season to a point where you're in the mix for the top six, not just the top four anymore. I mean, obviously, it was uh, it was great to see Brighton get into Europe, just just as it was, you know, with Burnley a few seasons ago. But the the real test for those teams, I think, is how does a, a European campaign uh, at whatever level, how does that affect their competitiveness in the in the Premier League season that runs alongside? So, um, I, I think we those teams teams like those would would need resources the sort of resources that come from regularly appearing in Europe, not not just as a one off. And and actually, once you narrow it down, specifically in the Champions League, in order to consolidate a position um, a, a position as as one of the wealthier teams, because it's essentially just a you know the winners. The winners continue to win. Uh, and again, as we've talked about on occasion, today, Kev, it's like um, you know once once we once we scrapped the the European Cup and moved to a situation where where you could be as wealthy as the people who, as the team that win your league by finishing fourth, then uh, you know all the context went out the window. But um, I think, as I say, uh, I'm I'm slightly worried that uh, it'll. Con- consolidate um, wealth within a, a group of, of, of teams who are already pretty wealthy. Uh, and the gap, I think, between that financial gap between teams that are regularly in Europe, regularly in the Champions League, and those who aren't, those who do it as a one-off, um, is, is, still, is still pretty wide. Yeah, a lot of good points made by both of you there. It will be fascinating to see how that all works. And like I said, it, it isn't official official yet because technically the coefficients could change throughout this uh, European campaign, but um, it's pretty likely. And then obviously we'll we'll see and feel the effects from there. But it is fascinating in a league with a uh, air quotes big six having five spots. And then like you mm-hmm. were mentioning, Jay, having the likes of Brighton and Villa, maybe Brentford will take mm-hmm. a step back with no Tony, but Newcastle obviously ascended massively last season. It's gonna it's gonna be really interesting, but I do agree, Steve. I think it it'll establish something. <laughs> we'll, we'll just I think it's I think it's interesting you were saying there, Steve, about you know the, the likelihood that it will just be the richer clubs getting richer, you know, through qualifying for European competition. But I, I I've noticed a distinct change in the way that Brighton are adopting um just in terms of their transfer market activities this mm. summer it's been very different to previous years they're spending money um they're bringing in players of experience they're looking to make that change to kind of make themselves prepare themselves for that kind of push which yeah. you know i i hope you know, i hate to say it because they're our rivals but um you you have to kind of you know nod your head to them and think well they're they're giving it a go and you just don't know what's going to happen i mean west ham struggled last season with their long season in the conference league but they ended up winning it so you know i I speak to a lot of west ham fans and you know they're happy they won it and stayed up you know but that that shows the challenge that these teams will have because it's a long season if you are going to go deep in such a competition and these clubs like you said you know, compared to the top six in this country, just don't have the squad capabilities to challenge on those fronts. And it's something the teams have to learn to do over over a course of seasons. But it's certainly interesting to watch um, if things change, yeah. for sure. 
And and it's definitely a, a better uh, option than having something like the Super League that doesn't have uh, a competitive aspect to it. Mm. Mm. Oh, Agreed. right. Yeah, where there was like no promotion or relegation. What a, what a weird like month that was. Um, <laughs> we'll move from there to uh, talking about something that I don't particularly want to, which harkens back to one of the first ever episodes of the show. As we said earlier, 10 years ago, one of the first episodes we ever had, Jay was on, was about whether or not Gareth Bale would be staying at Tottenham. And I went on a pretty long defense of why I thought he would, and then he transferred to Real Madrid the next day. So, <laughs> a decade later... We're doing this all again, Kev, Yeah, we? at risk of <laughs> making the same mistake. What do you guys think will happen with the Harry Kane situation? Obviously, Bayern Munich set a deadline and a new bid uh, on Friday, and Levy promptly flew away to Miami to not deal with it, which, if I could do that every time I had a deadline at work, would be a really fascinating uh, uh, solution to something like that. But allegedly, the, the totality of the offer would be more than 100 million pounds, which is always what we assumed would be Levy's number. So with that and his four goals and a friendly against Shakhtar Tonetsk, uh today in mind, what do you think Levy will do? Do you think he'll, he'll take up this uh, offer from Bayern Munich and then use that money to reinvest in the squad? Do you think he'll end up keeping Kane, thinking he can convince him, thinking maybe Spurs can get into that top five if all five are indeed Champions League places? What, what do you think he'll do and, and what do you think you'd do? Tough one, isn't it? Um, if I was Harry Kane, and I'm not, and I'm not a Spurs fan, but there is this thought process that he would win things at Bayern Munich before he would at Spurs. Um, I know that might sound painful to some Spurs fans, but we're yet to see what Postacoglu will do um, with, you know, now he's manager. Uh, that's certainly a fascinating aspect of Spurs' new season. But, you know, losing Harry Kane at this point, kind of hinders him a fair bit, doesn't it? Let's face it. But, you know, that sort of money on the table, Bayern Munich are looking for a striker to replace Lewandowski. They edged the Bundesliga last season, you know, and that proved that, you know, they weren't as strong as they have been in previous seasons. Um, you know, without the likes of Lewandowski, you know, they need that main striker. And Harry Kane just fits the bill, doesn't he? For me, he fits the bill for somebody, for Manchester United and also Bayern Munich. Um, I think... Personally, I think Harry Kane should go to Bayern Munich and, 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 and win things and, and obviously go deep in the Champions League, which they generally always mostly do. Um, it'd be a fresh challenge for him, England captain being out in Germany, playing for one of the top sides. I'm not saying Spurs aren't the top side, but, you know, he's given his all for Spurs, isn't he, um, in his time there. Um, and this is just a view from looking in. Whether Levy will do it? Um I don't know. Maybe the, I don't know if the money is is is, is an issue for him. I, 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 it sounds a bit more complicated than what we're making it. To be quite honest, whether it's Harry Kane's decision or um, or Daniel Levy's, but um, personally, I like to see him go and be challenged in the in the in Bayern, you know, in the Bayern Munich side. He was slotting perfectly. I really do think I watch a lot of Bundesliga, and he would perfect. And they'll they'd walk the Bundesliga again. To be quite honest with you, if he was there, um, scoring goals like he does in the in the Premier League, um, it's not quite as competitive as the Premier League. Well, it's not as competitive. Let's face it. Um, but with a player striker, you know, of the caliber of Lewandowski that they had before, you know, they'll they'll go back to you know walking that league by you know by the start of April probably anyway. So. Um, yeah, I personally, I think he should go. It'd be interesting to see him go. What Spurs do in terms of uh, replacing him? 
that that's a difficulty, isn't it? Season starts next Saturday. Obviously, the transfer window's open, you know. Um, and like Kev said, um, the Gareth Bale situation uh, happened uh, right before the season, didn't it? So, yeah, it's such a difficult one. From a neutral perspective, I would like to see Harry Kane go and win win things, um, even if it is in the Bundesliga. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Obviously, being Spurs fans makes it a little a little bit uh, close to home. But yeah. Well, no, I, I agree with all that. You can't really argue about, against that, uh, Jay. Uh, although I, 10 years ago, Gareth Bale was probably thinking, you know, that Kevin DeVries, I'll show him. <laughs> and that probably, that was, the, that was the tipping point, I think, for him. Um, I didn't see the Shakhtar game this morning, but, um, you know, after the stories of, you know, Harry waving to the crowd, it sounds like, you know, if this or the... Or the upcoming friendly against Barcelona, if the, if that's going to be his last game for us, then he's at least ready for the season to start. You know, whatever whatever shirt he ends up wearing, and and I think like like the rest of us, he he just wants to have the whole thing resolved. And uh, but I thought it was interesting for for Ange to say in his in his post game quotes that um, today shows that Harry is quote invested in what our club is doing. Uh, I think that might turn out to be a bit premature, Ange, to be honest with you. And I think by this stage, as, as Jay said, Harry Harry's basically invested in Harry and, and who can blame him? Uh, you know, if, if you think he was going to stay but not sign a new contract, um, you'd have to wonder whether whether we'd actually be any, any better off as a team knowing that he was leaving with possibly the only thing to show for next season then, you know, being maybe getting us in into a European campaign that he won't be there to 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 play in. So it seems like this is the the perfect moment, I think, for Spurs fans to realize that we're moving into a new phase across the board. And they're probably at least with some resources from Harry Sale. And and I'm not sure, you know, obviously expecting the entire any uh, the entirety of any uh, income to be reinvested uh, uh, the way our our management is uh is probably uh high hopes um but at least we'd get to to start to build something in the new in the new coach's image but the problem is we we don't know what that is yet uh and after you know after what harry has done for spurs and 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 the excitement that he has given us as fans who pay to watch him and that's the that's the interesting thing i think none of us would deny him the chance to decide how he spends the rest of his playing career. I mean, like, like Bale, like you mentioned, Kev, like when Bale left us, I'll just be glad to have seen him in a Spurs shirt at all, to be honest. And, and I wish him nothing but success wherever he ends up playing next, next season. But <clears throat> there are bigger questions. Uh, if we're a serious football club and we have to remind ourselves sometimes that that question has to be asked, uh, we'll have contingency plans in place for either if he stays or if he goes, but but so far there's precious little indication that our plan for the for that latter situation, if we if we have to start the season without Harry, uh, there's little little sign that that extends much beyond James Madison, who you know after after all don't forget may have actually signed with the expectation he'd been playing alongside Harry. Um, and Richarlison, Pearl Richarlison, who, who seems to be seen as the perpetual fallback that we all maybe thought he was when we when we signed him. 
So I, I think the only thing you can sort of count on are these two sort of presumptions, Kev, that the that the club were never going to risk letting him walk away for free. Uh, and ideally, they don't want him playing for another club in England, although I think that's slightly less of a consideration than, than the first one. So um, so the Bayern scenario seems to, you know, as Jay says, seems to tick all the boxes on both sides of the equation. And if that's the outcome Harry wants, then it'll probably happen. And and going back to your to your Bale reference again, it, it sounds like we'll we'll find out uh, one way or another uh, in the next couple of days. So um, so fingers crossed. Steve, I've got a couple of questions for you. As <laughs> and 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 to you, Kev. As as Spurs fans, does this? It, well, it's two questions really. How do you how do you replace somebody like Harry Kane? Yeah. And I mean, that's that's the that's such an open ended question anyway. But um, and the other question is, you know, getting to this point, particularly in this season where the season starts next Saturday. Um, but, you know, over the longer term, perhaps you could have cashed in on Harry Kane last season. Perhaps maybe the deal wasn't there or whatever. But are you annoyed at the club for for letting the club get in this position? Because you said about being, you know, Tottenham being uh, questioning whether they're actually a, a serious club. But you, you, you clearly are because. You know, you got state. You got an amazing stadium that's been invested in, and obviously NFL helped with that. You know, a fair chunk. But you got an amazing stadium. You invested into the future. Um, players aren't always the future because you know players come and go at clubs, right. aren't they? So, um, but yeah, does it does it annoy you that the club you know has kind of ended up in this position? Yeah, abs- absolutely, Jay. I mean, you know, there's the old saying about Harvard University is that it's a hedge fund with a nice library attached, and uh, <laughs> We're at the point where we're becoming uh, one of the best uh, venues, not just sporting mm. venues, but, you know, we saw the, the Beyonce concerts mm. that we had recently. Uh, one of the best venues in the UK with a sort of middling, fair to middling football team attached to it. Mm. And that that has that has worried me um, that our ambition in terms of what the, the product that we put on the field has not matched the uh, the ambition to create the infrastructure around it unfortunately mm-hmm. um you, your point your initial point how do you replace harry kane you you don't you rebuild you try and you try and say well okay who have we got in our squad at the moment who can you know lead the line and really the only one is is Richarlison, unfortunately mm-hmm. and uh, and he's he's been shown to be inconsistent so far um i don't know if his mindset would be different if he knew he was starting every week. I think he needs a little bit of competition. Um, again, just to go back to the idea of, you know, if we do end up selling Harry for whatever the the the, the end amount is, how much of that does get reinvested? Uh, and, you know, there are other other parts of the squad that need shoring up. And I, it seems like we're we're moving on at least getting at least one central defender, which, which we desperately need. But... In, the short answer is you don't. You don't replace someone like Harry. You can't go out and get another Erling Haaland. You just you 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 don't do it, uh, and you certainly wouldn't do it for a hundred million. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, no fair points. No fair points. I mean, I, I can kind of compare this it, perhaps to a lower ebb where we've had the Wilfred Zaha situation. Mm. Um, yeah, Wilf been at a club for... Well, he had that little stint at United, of course, but he came back and he's been at the club for so many years and has been, I don't know, you would call it a face of the franchise, wouldn't you, if you're talking about American sport, you know, for for, for several years now. And to get to the point where, you know, Palace have, Palace have been pretty shrewd in uh, actually losing Wilf like we just have. We're probably in the best ever position to lose him. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how the recruitment has been in the last two years, and it's almost been, it's almost been you know work in progress in getting the likes of Elise in, getting the likes of Eze in, and kind of bringing that talent through at the club so that we are in that position. So I almost value the the foresight of the club into changing their approach mm-hmm. in the transfer window to allow to kind of allow that to happen and hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going into a season now without Will for the first time, well, since the first season we came up um, when he went to United. Um, so it's going to be weird, yeah. but actually there has been a plan in place um, for that eventuality to, to happen and it has. So, you know, the proof is going to be in the pudding for the, for the season, at least anyway. Um, yeah. But it's, it's quite interesting to compare the two. Oh, it absolutely is. And I think uh, every club is sort of looking at, well, who could we least afford to lose? And mm. what's, our, what's our contingency plan for replacing them? And actually, just, you know, talking about American sports, if you if you think back to the movie Moneyball, mm. uh, when when the Oakland A's lost Jason Giambi, they, they, they didn't try to replace him. They replaced him in the aggregate because mm. they, looked, they looked for other contributions that That's would right. make up or, you know, the 30 goals or, the you know, whatever the number of home runs he hit. Um, and and so, in a way, we're going to need Son to step up this season. We're going to need, if if it is Richarlison, if Richarlison is going to lead the line, we're going to need a certain expectation of of his contribution. Kulisewski is the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, Madison, having Madison helps. But I just, I wonder, as I, as I sort of said in my original response to Kevin, I wonder how much was going through Madison's head that he was going to be playing alongside Harry for that, for at least for another season. Um, and whether that sort of changed uh, his mindset now, but, but yeah, I, I don't think you can replace Harry without doing it in the aggregate. Yeah. I mean, he, there was that year where Kane finished with both the most goals and the most assists. Like, yeah, yeah. It's two players. He's at least two players that you have to try right. to replace. And you could argue that in theory, Madison is the creative half. Well, 
well, the, the, the thing was, when, when Ericsson left, mm. Kane basically replaced Ericsson as well as being the striker. He, he, you know, he, was, he would very frequently drop back into that Ericsson role. And now er, Madison's the first, and I love Madison, by the way. I think he's probably the most talented and naturally gifted English midfielder at the moment. Uh, so I'm glad we got him. But that's, that's our first player that we brought in to replace Ericsson. Yep, true. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens. I personally would rather have Harry Kane than $100 million on on the spreadsheets. But, uh, uh, but you're, you're not Daniel Levy, mate. Uh, I'm not, but I do think that this, this decision will ultimately come down to Levy's ego versus his head. And I, I do not know which one will win this time. But uh, And if I picked one, the opposite would be what happens in two or three days. So he's going to be sold. Um, <laughs> in my one uh, vain attempt to, to be able to see him at Spurs for another year. Just one more thing, Kevin. I, I agree with you. But given we had that sort of scare a year ago when he almost went to Man City, that should have been a wake-up call. That should have been a wake-up call for the management to basically say, and if we keep him for, for another season and he doesn't sign a contract and he walks away for nothing at the end of the season, we still won't have a contingency plan in place. We still won't. I think the contingency was Conte will be here forever and be elite and will win titles. Uh, <laughs> though that may not have been well thought through or what happened. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, and I think it was two years ago because wasn't that the Jose off season? Right which, was, right. which was why he wanted to leave then was because it took us like three months to announce a manager and then it was Nuno. And he was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, which uh, I think is why you're hearing reports that like, if we were top four in the first half of the season, would that be enough to convince him to sign in December before then? But the fact that he ever got to the last year of his contract is definitely a failure. Exactly. Why you don't go the day after you secure Champions League football after your first half season of Antonio Conte, say, look at what we're building and add an extra year. I, I think that was the failure point for oh, sure. Oh, totally. I mean, that that window just after Conte unexpectedly got us into the Champions League, mm -hmm. that window was missed by... Pretty much everyone in the equation, because I'm yep. sure if you asked if you asked Enoch and and Levy now, if you're going to sell the team, if you're going to sell the team, your value has only gone down since that. Yep, undoubtedly. Um, as is Kane's value, even though he's been better and better, he's years older and also uh, has <laughs> just the the one year left on his contract. So yeah, definitely agree there. Uh, we do uh, need to move on though to what we do every year. The week before the season starts, which is get into some predictions. We've already mentioned some of the teams we think will be in the European places, but uh, let's start off with the title. Are we thinking that City are going to cruise to what would it be, their fourth in a row? Or are we thinking a club like Arsenal or, or uh, rebuilding Manchester United? Who, who do we think is going to ultimately lift the Premier League trophy come the end of the season? Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't put it past City at the moment, can you? But, you know, I, I'm fascinated by, by Arsenal. Uh, in terms of their approach this summer. It's very unlike Arsenal. Uh, obviously, they had a great season last season. Yes, you know, the media have been hounding them for falling away, but I think the way that the season worked out and the way that City always had games in hand, I think it was always going to happen at, at some point. But, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with how Arsenal have kind of looked at that and thought, right, Arteta's done a great job getting us into that position where, actually... They, they could have won the title if they had one or two different players, i.e. 
centre-back uh, coverage, you know, perhaps. Um, but that's all water under the bridge now, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm fascinated by how Arsenal are going to perform this season with really strong additions, which makes them stronger than last season, which gives them more options as well. Um, so, yeah, fascinated by them. Um, Chelsea, I'm really fascinated with this season. I really am, because obviously a lot of change, uh, both personnel and obviously manager as well. Um, I it's something about Pochettino that I really like. I can't actually put my finger on it, whether it's just that he comes across as a a, a nice guy or a decent... I don't know what it is, but um, I liked him when he was at Spurs. You guys probably did as well. Um, not jury's probably out on him at PSG because like that's you know it's one of those jobs isn't it really um so yeah I'm interested to see what he does at Chelsea obviously he sounds very much like his hands are tied in terms of you know transfers he's got another owner there at the club which seems to want to you know play with his toy and 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 buy buy all the new additions but you know in terms of their players that they have and uh, they've they've brought together this season I'm fascinated to see how they get on this season with you know, I think that I think that's the team that have had the biggest overhaul um, going into the season. So that's going to be really interesting for me. Um, elsewhere, United, uh, I, I don't know if they're going to be challenging. I mean, they've made some you know, decent acquisitions, and the the, the striker from uh, Atlanta, if he hits the ground running, it you know, could be what they need up front. But that remains to be seen. I think there's so many question marks out there just in terms of new players, new additions coming in and, and change at different clubs. I can see Arsenal challenging City this season again. I think it may even be closer than it was last season because I think Arsenal have, have smelt that, tasted it and uh, and want more, which is why they've gone out in the market and, uh, and meant business pretty much. Um, Liverpool, I, I just don't know about them really. I think they've, um, they're a team in transition a little bit. They've you know they're still a good side, but whether you know maybe it's uh, maybe it's a good thing for them that the top five will be Champions League places. Perhaps I don't really see them challenging this season um, for the title at least. Um, but I think it's going to be it's going to be a queue up there. I think it's going to be closer between you know six or seven different sides. Whether there's going to be any surprises this season. I think Villa could be a bit of a surprise. I'm not saying challenging. Um, Newcastle are going to be decent again. I think they're just going to go from strength to strength every transfer window every summer. Uh, you know, with the you know with the money that's available to them. Um, but they're doing things um, you know in a, in a in a kind of clever way. I think Newcastle. So it's going to be interesting to see how they deal with the Champions League as well as you know uh, domestic competition as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be. Quite similar to last season with Arsenal, Man City. I think United probably in a you know in a third uh, third place fight out between Chelsea and maybe Liverpool. I'm not sure. And then obviously I, I just don't know what to make of you guys this season, Spurs. You know what? If Harry Kane goes, you know it could be a season of transition. Um, so yeah, um, I, I don't think. I don't think a team like Villa is are going to challenge for a for a top five spot. Might be surprised. They had a really strong end to the season. I like Unai Emery a lot. He's done a yeah, he's done a yeah yeah he's done a lot of good stuff. Probably probably went to Arsenal too soon uh, or at the wrong time perhaps. You know, so he's doing really good stuff at Villa. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did something like Brighton did last season, or maybe even Newcastle. You never know. Um, Newcastle, I think, could be up there challenging, but obviously, you know, they have the Champions League hindering them a little bit in terms of. Uh, having to cope with that but yeah I, I it's intriguing i think there's it's so much to look forward to um this season you know I, even i'm a palace fan it's you know i'm a football fan so i like seeing um a competitive division i think it's going to be more competitive this season yeah i totally agree with all of that actually i i, I think 
it'll probably be one of City United or Arsenal that that finishes up on top. But I mean, given what we've just seen, and uh, but I, I like Jay, I'm really looking forward to an entertaining season. I mean, I think uh, Rice was a was a really excellent signing for mm. Arsenal. Seems to be the the piece that was missing for them. Um, Newcastle, as you say, it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to um, to a, a Champions League campaign. And alongside being competitive in the league, but again, that comes back to the resources argument that I was talking mm. about in the in the previous question. Is this idea that you have to be an already wealthy club, I think, to sustain a serious uh, challenge across two of the of the major uh, uh, trophies of major tournaments? Um, uh, Chelsea, again, you know, you've pretty much said it all, Jay. I think Pochettino and what he has to do there is going to be the interesting story of mm. the of the top five or six. Um, and and I, I think also that he has as big a job uh, as as Ange does with Spurs on on basically you know weeding out his roster and deciding uh, what his first choice eleven is is going to be. I mean, I think as as you say with with Emery and Villa, um, Emery is a, a very talented manager and and seems to have a decent scouting network as well going on. So yeah. I think if they can build on. Uh, their performances in this past season, that they'll be in that group of sort of, uh, you know, Chelsea, Liverpool, hopefully Spurs uh, and, and Villa, I think, sort of challenging for that that group behind uh, behind the three City, United, Arsenal and uh, and Newcastle. But again, the, the, the big um, the big question mark is is how Newcastle deal with uh, with a season in the Champions League. Um, uh, in terms of the relegation, I think we're we're probably on the on the same page. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, predict who would go down before before a ball's even being kicked. Um, uh, but you know, next next week um, next week's the first the only time that every team's simultaneously in first and last place. So, you know, it's up to them what they do in the next 38 weeks after that. So like, like, like every, but like every other season, you know, the, the teams who come up uh, will know how difficult it is for them. Uh, just, as, just as every team that comes up knows um, that an awful lot is going to depend on their, their attitude and their preparation and their execution. And that goes for, you know, both on and off the field. They have to be managed and, and directed in a shrewd way mm-hmm. to, to give themselves a, a, a fighting chance. I mean, I, having, having said that, it'll be great to see Luton um, back in the top flight. But, uh, you know, honestly, how, how, who knows how their year is going to go. Um, but I really, I really wish, them, uh, wish them all the best because that's, that's essentially what the pyramid, the best of the pyramid is about, you know. Um, get a, get a team's uh, on-field performance to mean more than what they do uh, in the boardroom. I think one of the interesting things, Steve, is that last season, I think, was the first time in quite a few seasons where the three teams that were promoted, none mm. of them went down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that made last season really interesting because you know, look at the teams that have gone down uh, last season. I, I don't think it's going to be the same this season. I think Luton and Sheffield United particularly are going to really struggle. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I think, you know... <laughs> There is an element of having a resource available, but you've got the other teams in there that have had um, longer, see, you know, a bit more experience in the top flight, perhaps, you know, like Bournemouth were touted to go straight back down last season. You know, the first season, 
you know that that's that that's a hard one sometimes people would argue that you know the second season syndrome you know that, that's happened to a lot of clubs in that you know perhaps you get a foothold and then the second season is even harder to stay up so I, I think there's a definite um groupings in the Premier League this season you know in terms of those challenging for European competition then the midfield and then you've got you know the teams that will probably be around the bottom six or seven teams but I think a lot is to do with, you know, how well the clubs are managed. You know, I, I just hope that teams just give their managers a bit more time because that seems to be getting a team up into the Premier League and then give them five games. It's not gone well, off you go sort of thing. You know, that seems to be the way of things in in the hope of chasing that, um, you know, that dream of staying in the Premier League and being that team. I, you know, I never expected Palace to be still where we are now after, what, 10 seasons, heading into our 11th consecutive season, which is a record for us in the top flight. And that's before the Premier League started as well. Football was around before 92, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, it's certainly an interesting one. I think, yeah, like I say, Luton and Sheffield United, I think, I, I just don't see them, probably Sheffield United have a have a fighting chance, but they haven't had a good summer. Um, I know a couple of Sheffield United fans and they've not done a lot in the transfer window. Um, they've lost a couple of players, so they don't look in great shape heading into the into the season. So that's not great news for them. Luton obviously have a distraction of their ground, um, which doesn't help them, I don't think, really, just in terms of not being ready for the Premier League. Hopefully they're ready on the pitch and I think some of that will go a long way for them you know we've seen the likes of Hull and Blackpool you know they're you know they're they're down before they've even started playing every season yes Blackpool ended up going down but they were top three after what five or six games and they were they were flying you know um just you know living off the back of that promotion and I think some of these teams are in onto a hide into nothing but you know let's let's see them be entertaining let's see them enjoy them, uh, themselves if they do go down then fair play they're giving a giving it a good crack but I think the Luton story is fascinating Absolutely fascinating. I think they were, if I remember rightly, they were they were in the old first division the season that they were that, that they were discussing the Premier League, and then they actually got relegated. So they were one of the founding members, but actually didn't play in it, which is crazy. And obviously seeing them go all the way down, dropping through the divisions like uh, nobody's business, and uh, for them to come back up, I, I, that's just a yeah. I don't think we've seen a story quite like that for a long time so um so I, i'm looking forward to seeing and playing in the premier league seeing that name i remember them in the old first division with the steam brothers um really enjoyable um got to the league cup finals i think twice was it twice two seasons in a row i think i remember rightly Luton and getting to the finals so so yeah looking forward to seeing them in the premier league and uh it's been a long time coming for them um in terms of anybody else yeah I mean, you, you would probably list the same old names like, you know, Forrest and, and, and Bournemouth, but they've had that extra season. It depends on, like I said before, that second season in syndrome and that kicks in a little bit. Forrest have had changes again this season, this summer. Great manager, though. I think that's that, that's a big part of, uh, of Forrest. Um, really good manager. Bournemouth, I think, very questionable about their manager. I don't know. Yeah, I... They they've made some moves in the transfer market, but I would I would pinpoint Bournemouth perhaps I'm you know to to struggle and, I, and again I'm really interested to see how West Ham uh, approach the season because obviously they finished um, just above the relegation zone last season obviously had the success in the uh, in the Conference League but they've lost Declan Rice haven't replaced him haven't yeah. brought in anybody I think so far and uh, all's not well down at the London Stadium 
Um, so there's them. Um, and fascinated to see how Brighton get on this season. Mm-hmm. Brentford without Ivan Tony for a fair chunk of the season. See how they cope um, this season as well. So, and obviously, you know, Palace in the mix as well, which I'm not going to predict my own team whatsoever because I've got no idea. Um, I don't want to tempt fate. So, um, so yeah, I like I say, I think the Premier League is going to be divided up into three three segments pretty much this season. Um, similar to what it was last season, but hopefully just as entertaining. Yeah, I, I agree with absolutely all of that. I was slightly worried, though, Kev, that one of the stories that I read a couple of weeks ago was that Ange was among the favourites to be the first manager sacked. And I think that that's simply because nobody really knows what he's, mm. what he might be capable of. So if that's any indication of uh, of how people are, how worried people are that Spurs might might slip, then I think that's probably fair. Yeah, I think your your three segments of the table thing is probably the most appropriate way to put <laughs> what's happening in the league now. Because basically, if you're in the top 10, you have a chance at European football. If you're in the top six, you have a chance at Champions League. So, like, all of a sudden, it sends really far down. A very narrow window from, like, 11 to 14 is right. now just air quotes mm-hmm. mid-table. And anybody There's- below that's fighting relegation. Yeah. I think that's absolutely right. There's very few teams now when you get to the last three, four weeks of the season who have nothing to play for. Which is great, ultimately. Mm-hmm. It just kind of disrupts kind of how I think we traditionally think about uh, yeah. how, how seasons go and what certain placements mean. We're like 8th to 16th used to not matter, basically. Right. Now it's like 10th to 12th. <laughs> uh, where, yeah where people just might get stuck. But yeah, anyway, uh, fascinating conversation, and we'll obviously see how all of those teams do. Uh, we'll just wrap up by asking about uh, some of some of your club's summer signings. Any that you're particularly uh, keeping an eye out for this coming season? Well, in terms of our own clubs, Kev, is that? <laughs> in theory. <laughs> um, well, funny enough, um, so I did a piece uh, a couple of days ago where um, I did a bit about transfers and we've only signed one player <laughs> um and that, that that will change yesterday uh when one of the players that we've been scouting for 18 good months probably probably nearly two years now uh joined us from uh, flamengo in brazil uh mateus franca who is an exciting 19 year old brazilian um i think palace have done their due, due diligence on him um and he comes in you know he it's going to take time to settle. He's 19 year old. He's come from Brazil. He's going to take time to settle at Palace, but I'm hoping that he is the guy that lets us forget about Zaha moving on uh, from Palace. Um, he will need time. You know, we've got a likes of Eze and Elise still fingers crossed on the last one um, at the club. And we've got Ahamada um, who's had a really good preseason actually with us. He came in in January and, Kind of, it didn't really get a run out in the side, only from the bench a few times. But he he had a really good season for Stuttgart um, and uh, really impressed in the Bundesliga. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can offer uh, after you know a long preseason uh, with us. So hopefully he's uh, he's going to be a, a good part of that. So, but yeah, Franca looks very exciting, uh, youngster, skillful, and hopefully is the player we need just to liven things up a little bit after after Wolf going, uh, fingers crossed, and complement the likes of Eze and Elise. Um, the other signing we had was Jefferson Lerma, who 
is a really good signing for us. Actually, free transfer. Um, he left Bournemouth, didn't sign a new contract, and and comes comes into Palace in the midfield, and will really complement um, Decore in the midfield. So you have got the two players is sitting in front of the back four, allowing the likes of Eze and Elise and Ayu and Edouard to do their thing. And, um, you know, from an attacking sense. So I think that's a really strong addition. He's got Premier League experience. And I think um, that that will prove invaluable after losing. Milivojevic left the club in the summer. So did uh, James MacArthur. They both left the summer. Didn't really feature an awful lot last season. Um, but obviously getting on and, and that's not kind of the player where, uh, you know, we're looking at at the club anymore. Um, still got the likes of Will Hughes in midfield as well. But yeah, Lerma and uh, Frank are the two that have come in. We're expecting more um, the potential for us to sign a wing-back stroke midfielder from Chelsea on loan uh, during the course of this week is due to happen. Um, and maybe one other, but we're looking for a striker. Um, Edward, I want to see us given a go up front. Um there's rumours that we're looking at a few championship strikers um, at the moment because um, Jean-Philippe Mateta just isn't the deal. He scored some important goals for us, um, but not enough. And, you know, him and Edouard kind of uh, uh, have kind of replaced each other at different times. But I want Edouard to be given that role and just give him a run in the team and give him that confidence. He scored a few goals in that 10-game stint that Hodgson came back for in the last season, which would be good. But um, he needs a bit of competition. So hopefully we can get somebody to come in and maybe let Mateta go off somewhere else and uh, start afresh. But uh, yeah, two signings for us. Uh, and looking forward to seeing them both. Hopefully, there's going to be one or two more before the season starts. Well, uh, I have, I think, appropriately enough for the 10th anniversary season of your show, um, You, it looks like you'll get another um, VDV to cheer for. <laughs> um, and and uh, Mickey van der Ven he comes with a, a huge expectation. And, uh, you know, all of us have only seen him play on uh, on YouTube and and we're you know taken aback by how how fast he is but uh, but the proof is going to be in the eating of, of sort of moving from uh, the Bundesliga to to the Premiership so and also Tapsoba looks looks good but really who knows where we stand on on that signing I mean we we've all heard you know through throughout the whole process here that it was going to be one or other rather than both of them. Um, so really, who knows? I mean, Ashley Phillips from from Blackburn, I think, looks like a really very promising young player. But then, of course, so did so did Jed Spence. Um, so an awful lot is going to depend on, you know, how um, how they're managed within the system and and what that uh, what the outcome of, of that is. I think Manor Solomon uh, will turn out to be a really good squad pickup for us. I, I've liked what I've seen of him uh, when he, especially when he comes off the bench. He gives us, uh, a, I think, a, a good option off the bench, um, a good cover for Son and Kulusevski. Uh, so I, I like him very much. But I think, like like Ange, uh, we we are all going to have to figure out uh, what our what our potentially strongest first eleven is going to be. I mean, start. I mean, starting at the back. I mean, any anyone you'd bring in after Hugo Lloris. I mean, is like a, a, a downgrade. And and I'm not. I don't mean to be uh, to to be critical of of Vicario, but but whether Vicario is the man to take over from Hugo in the in the long term, we're we're, we're just going to have to wait and see. I think it's very possible uh, uh, transfers to you know uh, elsewhere. It's very possible that we might come to regret missing out on David Raya. Uh, especially if he mm. ends up ends up at a team that 
that we would be challenging with for uh, for for league places. Um, uh, so we, we'll we'll wait and see. I'll, I'll give Vicario the the benefit of the doubt for now, and we'll see how we go. I like the idea of Poro and, and Udogi together, um, especially as as we were saying with the sort of speed that VDV will bring um, to to the defence. Uh, and, and of course, they always say that uh, you know uh, getting a long-term injured player back is is, is like a new signing. But um, but I think it's even better when it's someone like Bentoncourt. Uh And I I think there's no question that we missed him more than any other player uh, last year. So I'm I'm definitely excited to see him back uh, back in the starting lineup. But um, but I, as we were talking about um, Kev, I think looking in from the outside, we've we, we learned very little. I think in the preseason, um, it's not really uh, not we, we don't even get an accurate sense of of the unity or togetherness of the group. Um, uh, that certainly hasn't come across, uh, or how they react to Ange. So uh, obviously everything in terms of coverage has been focused around that, that the Harry situation, the uncertainty around that but um but i think we're, we're still in the situation that we were at, at, at the big at the end of last season uh where a big part of the the issue of the roster is you know dealing with the players who were out on loan uh dealing with the potential departures um it, that that still needs to be resolved just just as much as it did last season so um so i think uh, i think there's there's going to be a lot of interesting storylines uh, squad-wise uh, over the next few weeks. For sure, yeah, plenty to keep an eye on and we'll obviously uh, pay attention to the players that you guys have mentioned there. Uh, we will wrap up the show for today there, though. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks, Kev. It's good to be on the, uh, what, kick off the 10th season. That's crazy. 10, 10 years is, is mad, but uh, well done. Uh, great achievement. Um, yeah, I'm Jay. You can catch me at the Eagles Beak. We've got lots of content. I've had loads of content already actually kicking off. Well, Zaha kicked us off actually with, with our with our with our with our season. We weren't we weren't expecting to go uh, get back right in uh, so soon, but we have. There's a lot of content on the Eagles Beak. It will be throughout the season. So head on over to eaglesbeak.com. You can get us on all socials. And also, um, if you want to catch my uh, local sports show, it's a community radio sports show. You can get us on Meridian FM. You can get us on all socials, the Meridian SS. Uh, thanks again, uh, Kev, for having me back on. And congratulations again on the on the 10th season. Uh, and uh, thanks, Jay. That was a really good conversation, as it always is with you. Um, I am Steve McGookin, and you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, or if you want to follow my non-football work, you can get me at statesofplayproject.com. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable for as long as Twitter uh, exists, or X, (laughs) or whatever we're (laughs) referring to that as these days. Uh, But of course, you can also just search EPL Roundtable and and find the ACAST links directly, if (laughs) for some reason that site does crash and burn in the near future. But an absolute pleasure chatting to both of you. Thanks again for coming on at some point over the last 10 years, Jay, for the last (laughs) last four or five years. And uh, folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.